How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Oh, cut off. Hi. What? <laughs> Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Wow. So that's that's an old intro because we didn't even hear your name, Tom. Tom yeah, vintage. McCoy, my co-host. This is an old intro cut off. And um what this is what adaptation is all about. Adaptation is innovation. So we have just innovated a new introduction to the Dr. Joe Show with a lot of history and some sort of semblance of the past as well. So thank you very much. Um, so guys, what's going on? How have things been? Mark, what's happening? Amazing, feeling great, you know? It's been, uh, it's been a good week and I'm looking forward to uh, the weekend and things are great, Dr. Joe, how you been? It's been um, a busy, busy time, but it looks like we may be more hopeful now than we have been in over a year. I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm fully vaccinated. I'm Moderna. My wife fully vaccinated with Pfizer. My son is vaccinated with Johnson Johnson. So we're doing our own internal study. We'll see what happens over the next year. We'll let you know. Tom, what's going on with you? Well, I'm feeling a little nostalgic, Dr. Joe. This Why is around is this is around the same time when we started our nightly Facebook live events at the outset of the pandemic. It's really true. It is true. We, we started doing some extra things. I cannot believe it's been that long. We haven't been actually physically in studio. And Tom, I, I'm not even sure the last time I actually saw you in person. November. Wow. It's funny you mentioned that, Tom. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the Facebook memories from last year and it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a journal, if you will. And uh, it's fun, fun looking back on those those days now, understanding, you know, that it wasn't so new now, but then, and how we were dealing with it and reacting and, and calling some good good shots. And now yeah. our, produc our production value, our production value is just through the ceiling. It's great. It's great. And life is real. Who's is that? Your dog, Tom? That is uh, Izzy. Me? No, oh. I don't have a dog. Uh, okay. that is not the dog's name is Izzy. Dog. Oh, your dog's name is Izzy too. Well, speaking of yeah. Izzy, could Tom, <laughs> let's make that a wonderful segue. Could you introduce our guest for tonight's Dr. Joe show? Well, it's not just the Wumpa Fruit flavor G Fuel that's uh, got me excited. We are welcoming <laughs> vlogger, YouTuber, handheld console aficionado, and fellow Dick Show alumnus, Izzy Nobre. How you yeah. doing, man? Right on. Thanks for having me, guys. This is, this is exciting. Uh, uh, you threw me for a loop with the dog. Is, is your dog's name actually Izzy? Izzy. Isabel. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, it threw me for a loop, too. So yeah, because I'm like, I wasn't introduced yet. I, I didn't have, I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that introduction was truly a howl. Oh, boy. Sorry. Yeah, he does that. Okay. I'm sorry. I, parking up the wrong tree. So um, 
Izzy, welcome. Welcome to Dr. Joe Show. You know, I, I got a chance to read some of your tweets and look at your YouTube channel. You have an enormous following. What? It's wonderful. How did that happen? It's, uh, I feel very, it's very cliche to say this, but I feel really blessed that these people have stuck around for all these years that I've been creating content. Basically, my start uh, with creating content online happened shortly after, like in the big, like early 2000s, I had finished high school. I lived in Brazil. I'm Brazilian, for those who don't know. Um, and I live there. I live in Canada now for the last 17, 18 years. And I had finished high school and I was waiting to hear back from the schools that I had applied to. And in that limbo period where I finished school, so I don't have a, you know, I don't have a, a daily routine anymore. And I also don't know what I'm going to do with my future because I haven't heard back from the schools. Uh, I wanted to just do something to kill time. And blogging was really coming into its own little you know, a uh, form of media around that time, especially in Brazil, like the people that I follow, the sense of humor, uh, the things that I, that interested me, like these people were coming, were coming into the scene. The scene was really being born around that time. And I've always liked writing. I've always been pretty creative when I was a kid. I like to journal and things like that, write stories. So I thought, hey, this is a way to do that on the computer for an audience. So yeah, let's do that. And then it started with just a little, you know, in the, the kind of things that people joke uh, when you're first starting to create content, just experimenting with your sense of humor and things like that. And it started getting picked up by, you know, this other blogger who would recommend me and this other blogger. And then before you know it, I had a pretty decent audience. And then in the mid 2000s, like around 2007, 2008. Um, I started experimenting with uh, vlogging, like basically what I already did, but now in the video format and that exploded, that became my main source of income for the last few years. And wow. uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I, that's, that's why Thomas know who I am because uh, I just like to share the things that I liked, you know, video games, pop culture, sci-fi, that kind of stuff. Right. And then, yeah. That's incredible. Isn't it wonderful how, these small changes, this is one of the things that the I am is all about. Small changes can have big effects. I mean, you, you start off doing this thing, you're passionate about it. And the next thing you know, other people share your passion. How cool is that? And especially because the things that I like, that's, that's the, the thing that blows me away. Even though I've had a long career, you know, 10 plus years doing what I do professionally, every time I stop to think that the things that draw people to me today are the things that I didn't like talking about in school because I'd be branded a nerd or a geek, a weird kid. Like, oh, all he wants to talk about is like his Game Boy and video games. Like that kid is weird. I learned that there's only one guy in school that I could talk to about those things. And with everybody else, I had to be more quote unquote normal. And now that, that, I, that side of my identity that I hid for so many years is why I became known online. And that always, even like, again, 10 years after, the fact it's still, I still love the irony in that. It is wonderful. And, and how, I mean, I'm really so curious. I hope you don't mind if I ask first question. Not at all. How, how, how do you afford to do this? So you have sponsors that pay you or what's the income so stream for this? At first, when I started creating content, I was just fresh out of high school. So I didn't really have a job. I live with my parents still. And since migrating to Canada, I worked a bunch of different jobs while I was doing this in the back burner as a hobby 
until it became profitable, right? So I've worked in fast food. I've worked like washing dishes, snow, uh, shoveling snow, right? Those types of things while I was creating content, just like at night on my computer, writing jokes and things like that. Eventually, once you get that critical mass that sponsors and brands start noticing who you are, and they start hitting you up for like, hey, you know, in my case, I talk a lot about technology. So I get hit up by companies like, I'm not sure if I can say the brand, it's brands sure, that you know, ahead. right? Like you know, you know, Samsung, Facebook, Microsoft, yeah. these kinds of companies like Warner Brothers, when they were now like, you know, they have some movies that are coming out that they think would resonate with my audience. They reach out and then we work a deal and I create sponsored, you know, uh, content for them. And that became my main sort of, of uh, my main source of income for the last few years. Started it, all as just a little hobby, but yeah, that's what you, that's what happened. It's so terrific. I mean, I mean, medical school was my hobby, but it it certainly hasn't given me the the exposure that that you have. There is something absolutely wonderful about it. I was I was looking at some of the YouTube's, and I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are watching this, and that that got me wondering, you know, because my my kids. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, they got into video game uh, Animal, Animal Crossing. Crossing. Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. That was a big one during the pandemic. That was a big right. one. It was, it was Tiger King and Animal Crossing. Those are the two things that are keep people going. Right. And, and it was really fascinating because my daughter, one of my daughters was in New York. My other kid wound up in Los Angeles, another one in Nashville another one in Massachusetts, and they were still able to stay connected um, with Animal Crossing. So I'm just wondering, what have you noticed with the pandemic and video gaming? Is, is there an explosion of it? Are people more likely to want to do it? I mean, is there any connection? Absolutely. I find absolutely. Video games have been, for a very long time, uh, a great form of escapism for people who just for lack of other alternatives. And right now we all lack alternatives, right? Um, So it it brought a lot of people into playing video games and some of the habits that people had playing video games changed because of the pandemic, right? In my case, one of the the, the consoles that I play more often and some of my fan base, that's also what they love, the Nintendo Switch, which is a, uh, um, a hybrid system that you can play on your TV at home but the main draw of the system is the fact that you can untether it from its dock and you can carry it with you if you're going away on your commute or if you're traveling. Now, obviously, this is a big feature of the system. In fact, it's very named Nintendo Switch is to evoke the idea that you're switching from the TV to a portable mm. handheld console. Now, mm. people are not going out as much as they were. And a lot of people who are interested in on a Switch because of this portability aspect now that's not so relevant for them. And people who already had a Switch, as is my case, I'm not really going out so much. So I play it mostly as a docked TV console, which was not the reason I bought it for originally. So I think it brought a lot of people to this. As people, Especially people who weren't into video games, maybe they exhausted their other alternatives for, for, for hobbies at home, right? You can only watch so many Netflix shows until you're just, you've had enough. And I've noticed in my circle, people who are not into gaming or were kind of like closeted gamers, and now they've, they've graduated to that being a bigger part of their identity because that's filling that gap that their, you know, outside social life where that was before, they're, now they're gaming. Fascinating. How have things been up there in Canada through this pandemic? 
not as great as I would hope. The vaccine rollout, uh, Canada, as I understand, doesn't have uh, a vaccine production infrastructure in place. Uh, Canada is, though, second largest country in the world by landmass. There's only about, mm. what, 40 million people here. So there's more people in the state of California than there are Canadians. Understandably, apparently, they lack the infrastructure to produce vaccines. We've been dependent on vaccines coming from abroad, as I understand. So it's been a little slower. Like there's, I have friends in Brazil who have been fully vaccinated where myself, I don't have a, I don't have a time. I got an email saying that I'm eligible now, but I have to look into it. It's not, it hasn't been as immediate as I would have hoped. And you bring in Brazil. So mm. let's, the can of worms. let's shift <laughs> over across the, actually we don't even have to go across the sea, just down the landmass. And yeah. What is going on there? I, I, I was reading uh, an article today from BBC that it's rough down there. What's happening? Dr. Joe, let me tell you, I am Brazilian born and raised. I speak Portuguese fluently. I read the news every day and it's hard for me to make sense of what's going on down there. As I'm sure most of you guys know, uh, the current president is a bit of a denialist, which is putting it mildly, I think. Uh, from the very beginning of the pandemic, he downplayed it. He talked about it's just a little cold. He um, made fun of people who wore masks. He incentivated uh, large gatherings. Uh, in fact, right outside of his official presidential residence, right? So uh, through the very beginning, like from, from the very beginning, uh, this, this administration didn't take the threat seriously. And I'm sure as Americans, that doesn't sound super weird to you. Uh, it's just that our guy is still, uh, you know, uh, putting us through the through the ringer with this whole thing. Uh, he said some things, and here's the thing, right? Um, Bolsonaro's history, basically, he was a, the equivalent to a congressman, and he was well known for two things. He was not very well liked by his peers because he was very, very um, rude, to put it mildly, right? The guy uh, doesn't have a filter. Um, he'll curse, you know, openly. Like he, he talks in a way that you wouldn't expect a politician to talk like. However, that window has shifted because of, of the years that he's been in power, right? So he was well known for being disliked by his peers in, in Congress and by the fact that he just spoke openly. And it wasn't always something that really should be spoken, let's put it this way. So, you know, for, for reasons that I'm sure historians will be debating for years to come, he really resonated with that, you know, not unlike what happened with Trump. Like, he's not called the Trump of the tropics for no reason. There's a lot of parallels, mm -hmm. though Trump came from, he was truly an outsider, right? Like, in the, in the private sector, he wasn't a politician and became a politician, right? Like, in the, his first go, you know, uh, most the highest uh, uh, office of the land. Bolsonaro, on the other hand, though they share a lot of similarities, uh, he was a career politician for a long time, though he tried to sell himself as an outsider. But that was more to the, the, due to the fact that he was disliked by Congress, not because he was really an outsider. He's been a politician his whole adult life almost. And but yeah, it's, it's hard to... Sorry, go ahead, Tom. Uh, is it true that he campaigned on the platform of I will kill 30,000 people? Not quite. I can give you some context on that. Uh, and I, you know, before we get into this, I am a... a, a, a an outspoken Bolsonaro critic, so you're not going to hear my, uh, many, many praises uh, of him from me. But basically, to, to explain that quote, in the 90s, he was doing a local TV interview. And again, he was known for just 
saying outrageous things. And as you might, you know, you may not know this, but Brazil between 64 and 84 was a military dictatorship. And he was an open supporter of military dictatorship. And which is, it shocks a lot of people because there were a lot of political killings and people had to go into exile. We didn't have freedom of the press. It was dark, those 20 years that preceded my birth. I was born in the year that it was over, like in 84. Uh, in 85, we became a, a, a democracy again. Um, people, when he, they hear a congressman saying that, no, that was a good time, you know, like they're, they're understandably curious and some furious. So he was, uh, he was doing an interview, a TV interview and a host asked, I'm paraphrasing here, but he asked something about like, but you said that they should have killed people, like more people in the dictatorship because uh, there's some discrepancy in the numbers, like how many people were actually killed during those years, which always happens in these situations, especially when you didn't have freedom of the press. But we all agree that if one person was killed during that period because of political reasons, there was one too many, right? So the host is asking, like, how, like, how do you say that? Like, they killed, they didn't kill enough people. And he says, like, with an angry look on his face, like he means business. He's like, you know me, I think they didn't kill enough. If it was me, thirty thousand would have died. So. To say that he campaigned on that would be stretching the truth a little bit, but he absolutely said that. He uh, celebrates the, uh, the the Brazilian dictatorship, the military dictatorship, and he openly said many times that he, he thinks that not enough people died during that period. So, yeah, it, some people say, in fact, as we cross the 300,000 uh, deaths by uh, in Brazil from COVID, some people said, hey, you know, remember back in the 90s, he was saying that he wanted mm -hmm. to kill 30,000? He went tenfold on his goal, it seems. So... You know, wow. so do you powerful. think do you think part of it is him kind of getting off on it? The way he talks, it, it might like some people who, who listen to you say this might think you're being too harsh on the guy. But consider this recently he did. He does like Facebook live streams. It's like his little state of the union type of address situation. Right. Like he, it's every Thursday. I think it is. Um, he does like, you know, Facebook live streams and it's the way he talks to, to people. And one of the, the things, one of the, his the, the things that that made him attractive to like the common man is the fact that he just like goes on Facebook on live stream and talks to people about the things that he wants to talk to people about. Right. So people, some people, his, his supporters see that as like, see, he's one of us. He's like a simple guy. He's anyway. So in one of his live streams, right. He holds up a, a, a printed like sheet of paper. It was like a meme that in his, like, you know, his Twitter, the, his Twitter crowd was circulating, right? Um, and he's also very popular uh, among WhatsApp users, which is like an IM, like an instant messaging service that's not very sure. popular in North America, but it's like massive in emerging markets like, you know, like uh, um, Southeast Asia and Latin America, right? Anyway, so this meme was circulating on his WhatsApp circles and he holds it up. And then the first, it's like two images, right? So the top, it says, Bolsonaro claims with no evidence that uh, if we, we enact lockdowns, people might commit suicide over it, right? Which is something he did. He was against the lockdown because he said, again, without anything to back that up, that people are going to kill themselves in droves if we enact the lockdown. So no lockdown, we have to leave it all open, right? COVID be damned. Immediately underneath that image, uh, it was international news about researchers noticing a spike in suicides since the beginning of the pandemic. So there's no connection with the lockdown policy and the suicides. But the picture has him like smiling and then the, the, the caption says Bolsonaro was right yet again. So he's holding this piece of paper, which again is saying that there's been a spike in suicides from young people since the beginning of the pandemic. And he's holding to the camera and smiling. You know, he's, he's, he's happy that he was proven right 
even though he really wasn't because the original news, you know, he was talking about like locking it down, like shutting down the economy is going to kill, people are going to kill themselves. And that's not what the story was about. It's just that right. the pandemic created a lot of psychological problems or exacerbating pre-existing psychological problems that led people to kill themselves. And to have a president holding up a piece of paper that says people are killing themselves and he's smiling about it. I wouldn't blame anybody who thought, like Thomas suggested, that he's getting off on it, especially considering his previous, uh, the previous things he said about, you know, I would have killed 30,000 people. It's outrageous. Mm. Mm. I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, do your parents, are your parents still around? Or? They are, both of them, yes. Thank God, because they lived through it. What? Have they ever spoken with you about their experience? It's funny you should ask that because people around, like my parents have never really said anything about the, the period, right? Uh, and my, my family, they're, you know, they come from like the, what you'd call the projects, right? They're very like humble people, hardworking. They weren't really, especially back then, they weren't really connected to what was going on in society and politics because again, back then, no freedom of the press, not a lot of people right. are paying attention. So my, right. the, the idea that I have about my parents specifically is they were pretty alienated for, from what was going on. I, in fact, asked my grandfather who was still around what he knew about, uh, what were the big events in his lifetime? Right. And he was telling me that he heard something about the war because he heard it on the radio but it was in Europe, so they didn't care about it. And he's talking about World War II. That's how disconnected. They didn't know who fought it. They didn't know what it was about. It's just there was some big war in Europe. And wow. as I was thinking, my cops type of thing, like I heard about it. So the impression I have from my parents specifically is that they just didn't know that much uh, about what was going on. And I can't really blame them because a lot of people did, yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I'm truly stunned by that because, you know, here in the states where there used to be freedom of the press, I think maybe there still is, sorry about that, by um, editorial comment. But, um, but but at least there's some knowledge and awareness of what's going on. I mean, that, that plays right into a dictatorship, doesn't it? Oh, that absolutely, 100%. In fact, the people who speak positively about the dictatorship, you can see them parroting the propaganda that they were fed, like 100%, like they bought it, entirely with no question right so one thing that you hear a lot about it's like a jargon from people who uh, the the apologists the, the the dictatorship apologists they say things like oh you know the only people getting trouble with the secret police were the troublemakers but by troublemakers they mean university students who happen to be associated with say socialist movements or democratic leaning movements they were branded uh, insiders. They are, the, the, the word that they used back then was subversives. So if you're a brand of subversives, there's, there's this air of like McCarthyism. It was like being called a communist in the McCarthy age. But maybe you're just, a, again, a, uh, um, a political science major who has some leftist leanings, and that's enough to brand you an enemy of the state. And back then, between 64 and 84, that's all it took for you to disappear. And to this day, there's a lot of families that still don't know what happened to, to their, their, their children because they were taken in the middle of the night. They're taken from the school, right? But then, like I've heard from relatives of mine, thankfully not my, my father and mother because I'd be pretty embarrassed to admit that, but I've heard from other relatives, you know, the only people getting trouble back then were the troublemakers, you know, the, the, these troublemakers. Uh, and it seems like they don't really, they, they, they bought the, the lie that if you were like, if you, were, if you had left-leaning uh, um, 
let's say, uh, if you're a left-leaning person, right? If you're involved with some kind of like, you know, student uh, movement or anything like that, you're a terrorist, you're out robbing banks to fund the revolution. Uh, and also they say like, we had to, we had to take power. Even the ones who say, you know, the military dictatorship was maybe overkill, but we had to do that because the communists were ready to take over. And if we hadn't done it, they would have done it. But really there were no big communist threat in the way they think was viable. Like we're the fifth largest country in the world. I don't think a handful of, of students who read Karl Marx will be able to take over the whole country. Like that's not, it doesn't seem viable to me and to most historians who seriously look into the matter. It seems like it's just propaganda. The government would occasionally arrest some guy who like had these plans to like rob banks, right? Indeed did, because that did happen. These student groups, they did. Some of them were more militarized and they had weapons. Uh, there was the kidnapping of a, an, a US ambassador, I think in the seventies or something like, or a consul, something like that. I forget exactly, but it was it was some, some representative of the United States government that was kidnapped back then. Um, so some violence did occur, but it was like, it was small pockets. It was very isolated to justify an entire 20 years of military rule, of no freedom of the press, of no elections, because some students had these like lofty dreams of, rev of armed revolution. It seems to me like it's more propaganda than an actual communist threat that was about to take over. That's me. That, maybe that's me editorializing, Dr. Joe. Sounds like a <laughs> bunch of cultural Marxism to me. <laughs> well, what well, happened in 1984? In 1984, there was a, you know, depends on who you ask. So what uh, we learned in school is that there was a growing sentiment that um, that things weren't working anymore. Inflation was kicking into overdrive. The military wasn't really that suited to run a country. So, you know, the, the, the people were coming into the, to the streets to, to protest for, for elections, a movement called Giretas Ja, uh, which basically trans it, it loosely translates to elections now. Um, so it, eventually the military was like, all right, you guys can have it. And just, we, we got democracy again. Right. Um, but again, it depends on who you ask, right? Some people say that those armed, uh, uh, let's say militias, student militias that were, you know, in their small little ways, trying to fight back. Eventually the government thought that, you know, the government thought that that was, it, it wasn't worth the trouble to engage with them. Like it varies who you ask, but my, my, my view is that the military just the the economy was going to explode. It was what they were doing. They were doing a lot of uh, a lot of sleight of hand, economic sleight of hand, to make it seem like there was economic boom. But they knew that the bottom line wasn't going to add up the way they wanted, and they did just they didn't want to hold the bag, is what I think. So that's why they willingly said, you know what, it's fine. You guys can have it back. And then immediately after, surprise, surprise. The, the highest inflation we ever had and a lot of a, a lot of corruption was uncovered after that so and and you yeah. were you were living there until you were about how old i was 19 when i moved to uh, to canada in 2003 so what was that change like from brazil to canada it was uh, incredible. It was in a lot of ways um, like going to another another world. I was familiar with uh, North American culture. I didn't speak very good English back then, uh, but I could understand it almost fluently um, and enough to you know make you know make friends and stuff like that. Uh, but it was everything was very different from the climate to certain uh, societal customs, right? Certain things that to me just seemed flat out rude. 
but it's just the way things are done here and vice versa. I'm sure that there's a lot of things, especially that uh, we Brazilians do that might be seen as rude to Canadians. It's just the culture shock, right? It took a while to get over that, but I started going to high school and I started making friends and, you know, dating and all these things. So little by little, the information I got from firsthand, you know, knowledge of being immersed in the culture filled in the gaps from what I had from like watching movies and TV shows and things like that. Cause I had some understanding of, I had some expectations like from watching movies and pop culture that we, we import from, from the U S right. Uh, like all the things that you guys, like the movies that you grew up watching are in a lot of ways are the things, that, the same things that we grew up watching, right? TV, mm -hmm. not so much with syndication. There's a lot of things that were bigger in the States that never crossed over. But like a lot of like, you know, sitcoms and, and, and movies, we get all of the, those things. So I knew a lot about what to expect, but it, it was still uh, learning the language, right? Uh, took a lot and certain things that you're just so used to doing that they come so naturally because they're your culture and you know you shouldn't do those kinds of things. And, and you moved up for school, for college or? Um, no, uh, my dad got a job here. Right. Uh, my dad works in IT and he got a job here at the company that he used to work with. He, that company no longer exists, but he, you know, he's a good professional. So he was able to continue his career just with a different company. Uh, and the whole family came. Right. It was because of my dad and uh, my mom and my two siblings came. Uh, my parents got divorced sometime after and my uh, my family, half of my family relocated to the United States and I stayed behind with my dad. Um, but yeah. And, and everybody lives here in Calgary. And, and who's still in Brazil then? Uh, the rest of the family. So everybody else, like uh, grandparents, cousins, uncles, like everybody else. My friends from like university. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed in a way because most immigrants don't have like their immediate family all living in the city where they live. Uh, although to me, the irony is that I've kind of had enough with the Canadian life. And I'm thinking as, you know, I become financially independent because of YouTube, because of my work here on the internet, I can actually, I realize I could live anywhere I wanted. And I've had enough of the Canadian winters, especially here in Calgary and the rock is it's, it's especially tough. And I'm, I'm like starting out to map out this project of living a, a nomadic lifestyle. I can work if I have a laptop, an internet connection and a camera, I can make a living anywhere in the world. So why? live where it's like it snows for four months out of the year wow that's that's so true and i i think a lot of people may start realizing that they can be more mobile uh, absolutely working remotely live where you want to be not where you need to be right what was that mark live, live we've been saying this since the beginning of the pandemic in our in our world is live where you want to be not where you need to be Right, mm. because everything can be done remotely now. Right, you're not being yeah. asked to go in and punch a clock in the office. It's you know, fast. especially for Izzy though. I mean, all you have to do is set up a studio and keep moving it around. Exactly. I've been thinking about that, like for the last like three, four months when this, you know, the, the seeds of this idea, like when I look around, I have a pretty decent setup. It's messy back here, but that's not what my viewers see. The camera's facing <laughs> the other way. They see, you're not seeing like the nice, the nice part of the studio. You're seeing the mess. You're seeing how the sausage gets made here. But it's, uh, all the things, it's, it's like, I have a lot of nice things in like the setting is cool and everything, but really it all boils down to like my computer, my phone and a camera. So yeah. if I have those, like all of this stuff is like, it's just literally set dressing like the action figures and the you know the fancy computer and all those things um I, I don't need that to create to connect with people to create the content that i create right 
So I've been thinking about that every single day for the past few months. And, Where are you uh, looking? I'm sorry? Where are you looking? So I'm looking all over like Latin America, basically. Brazil, obviously, uh, because I speak the language and I understand the culture and I have family is the obvious uh, 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 place to go. But because of everything that's going on politically and because of how outspoken the critic of the president I am, uh, though that might sound outrageous, this president has already um, uh, sicked the, the, the judicial arm of the government on YouTubers who speak about him. This has happened to people I know personally. So it's like when I, when I decide to go down there, it's going to be one of those things where I'm not going to be so open about where I am exactly kind of thing, yeah. because, mm -hmm. you know, you can never be too careful, especially when there's precedent, when the, when somebody has made a YouTube video, a guy I know personally, and the president said, yeah, let's try to see what this guy's about. Like, see if we can see if something sticks, throw something at him and see if it sticks. Thankfully that wasn't the case, but the fact that the president is motivated enough to persecute vloggers is something that I have to keep in mind if I'm thinking of relocating. Uh, Central America is, I've, I've, I've visited there before and obviously as a tourist, right? But uh, the, the currency exchange is in my favor, obviously. And I love the weather. As a Canadian citizen, I can stay pretty much wherever I want for, you know, I think it's six months at a time, depending on the country. And then, you know, in the summer, I can come back here, stay with my family and then keep traveling. Just, I've, I've had enough of being under snow is the point, really. I love it. I love it. Yeah. There's, there's so much going on in Brazil right now that, that we hear. I mean, in the news, you know, there's, there's COVID, there's, you know, a lot of cocaine and, and, and other drug trafficking. And I mean, you have an amazing platform, Izzy. How, how do you want to use this platform? Um, I've gotten way more political recently. Um, in these these last few because like i said my content started with video games nerd stuff comic books sci-fi right like this movie that i watch you guys should watch it it's great or it's crap and then over time it slowly got more political as i started to notice as dr joe pointed out i have an audience i have a platform and as a comic book reader the phrase with great power comes great responsibility is something yes. that i have to keep in mind so i started talking about certain issues that that interest me that i find important especially with uh, the radicalization that we're seeing growing on the internet, right? Like I saw what happened in the United States in the Trump era, and I'm seeing this now in real time happening in uh, with Bolsonaro. And because I reach a lot of people, there's a lot of things that though I always thought like, I'm not really qualified to talk about this, but I know enough and I follow enough about the, the news and about this subject matter that I can reach out to some people and say, hey, you know, pay attention to this. This is what this means. This is what this could mean in the future. We got to keep an eye out on this. and. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I became a, a unwitting kind of like an older brother, I feel like to a lot of my audience, like people who are younger, clearly younger than me, I'm 36. And a lot of my audience isn't like in the 20 to 30 age. And uh, obviously I understand a little more about like economics and politics in, in the world than your average 20 year old, right? Obviously there's some brilliant people out there, but the guy who's just like, you know, fresh out of high school and never worked in his life and he lives at home, his world is perhaps really small and he hasn't paid attention to a lot of what's going on around him, right? So I see myself as like, hey, you know, I can talk about the video games and the movies and all these things, but when these things happen, like these big things happen, I, I feel like I, I need to say something about this Let, because the other people, the people who are trying to radicalize them to their side, they're going to pick up my slack for sure. 
right? So when I see things like, for instance, um, when the, the, the George Floyd thing was a big turning point in my channel, I think, because it was very North American, but it was being washed over by the entire world. And people in Brazil, they couldn't really fully understand what was going on because, you know, they don't speak English. They don't understand the culture, though we have our own problem with people of color and suffering uh, uh, oppression by the, the police, right? It's not like it, there's a lot that's a little different. They don't fully understand it. They try to apply what they know about Brazilian culture to that scene. And I have to explain, no, you know, it was serious. It was a, a big problem because of this, this and this. And the worst part to me was realizing that some of the, the white supremacist talking points that are common on the North American side of the Internet were were trickling down to the Brazilian side of the Internet. Right. Like things like. One thing that I always heard people say in these these places, like the the thirteen fifty statistic that I, I think you might be familiar yes. with, right? Yeah, it, it, it's so, it's it's so ridiculous. It's astounding that every other stat is irrelevant and it's fake and it's a hoax. But did you know that thirteen percent of the population? Yeah, uh, so it's something for those who might not know, right? Like this refers to a statistic by the FBI that uh, the the the, the African-American community, though a minority of the population, commits a good chunk of the crimes. And people don't want to understand why that's happening. They just say, they just jump to the conclusion immediately that that must mean that Black people are genetically predisposed to committing crimes. Like, no, that's not why. There's a sociological explanation as to why if you enslave people for hundreds of years and then you, okay, you give them freedom, but then you enact a bunch of laws that still keep them down, naturally what's going to happen years after that is that these people, this community is going to be more... Uh, um, crime is going to be more common, more prevalent in a community if that's what you do to them. That's why. But they are not interested in the explanation, the historical explanation. They're just interested in, hey, this statistic, quote unquote, proves that the police isn't being unnecessarily tough on them. It's just they're more, they're naturally more violent for some reason. So that's necessary. When I saw Brazilians saying that, it worried me because that's something I always saw as yeah, Americans will say that, like, you know, there's some white supremacists in, in the States, they say stuff like that, but Brazilians don't say that stuff, right? And when I saw them saying that, I'm like, all right, I need to jump in and try to explain before this idea, this prejudice is, takes hold, right? And perhaps not coincidentally, it was Bolsonaro's crowd that was working hard to push that narrative. And that's when I realized that all I stand for is going to be against this government. So I'm going to have to say something. I can't let people watch my stuff and think, I wonder if Izzy supports this guy, you know? Hmm. Now, Izzy, did, um, did you have a, oh shit, is this, is this what it's been like uh, with the, the Dick Show community? I'm not, like Dick Masterson is no dummy, but a lot of the, like, the fan base and the like, extended universe, it feels like there was an about face. I was wondering if you're gonna brought if you're gonna bring that up. Uh, Dick Masterson is a comedian, right? Um, and I find him hilarious, and I've I've met him personally, and he's a great guy. Uh, I've I've actually sought his advice by email, like when things happen in my life. I always looked up to him to like this like older brother that that I didn't have, because yeah. though I disagree with a lot of what he believes in, some of his advice is like, hey, you know, there's some truth to that, and I like his sense of humor, right? But as you noticed, there was a point when like Dick was. You know, supporting Trump and we all thought it was kind of like a joke it's a bit but then he started to like argue more and more in favor of Trump and I'm like 
and noticing the community as well i'm like okay i i don't really like i still like his sense of humor i don't watch the, the pod, like i don't listen to podcasts anymore because i just don't listen to podcasts in general these days like my my habits have i used to listen to podcasts a bunch when i commuted and when i was you know traveled and stuff like that at home it's not really like i prefer to listen to music anyway um i noticed that like the community um started shifting towards that side and that's when i kind of disengaged myself from you know, not because of his sense of humor change or anything like that. I don't think he's an asshole or anything like that. But uh, I don't identify so much with the side of the internet that he seems to talk to these days, let's say. Yeah, because I, I was like, he uh, he's a good guy and the people he mostly associates with are good people. He'll go on like the Ralph retort with like Richard Spencer and stuff, but you can't hold him responsible yeah. for that. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I look at. I'm like, yeah, see, that's not something I would have. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't get so excited about like having him on. But uh, for those who don't know, Richard Spencer is a white nationalist. He tries to make a difference, say it's different from a white supremacist, but it's essentially the same. Uh, he throws Hitler salutes. Like that's all you need yeah. to know about the guy. Yeah, that's all you need to know. And right. I think, let me... Let, Sorry, go ahead, Thomas. No, but like, yeah, for the sake of being a provocateur, and then you can just play it off as it's just a joke. Yeah, you see, I've the problem with that is that white supremacists, right? Like, there's there's a concept called crypto fascism where people will joke, quote unquote, about certain ideas, outrageous ideas, uh, extremist supremacist ideas, and then when called out on it, they can they have that plausible deniability of saying, no, it's all a joke. Right. It's very common right now. I'm sure you're familiar with the whole OK sign controversy. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Joe, have you, do you know what uh, I'm talking about? No. Tell us about that. Go ahead. So the OK sign, right? Like doing this, right? This has exist, existed since like the 1700s, right? And it always meant, OK, everything's good, right? But uh, in around 2017, 4chan, the image board, decided to, you know, to, to put on this, this, this prank on the media. And they said, OK, guys, we're going to all start saying that this means Y, so like the W sign formed by my three fingers here. And this is a P for power. This means white power. From now on, we're going to say this. They're going to fall for it. It's going to be hilarious. The problem is the white supremacists thought, hey, this is a good idea. We can use this as a secret handshake. And if wow. anybody calls us out on it, it's all a joke, you dummy. It's a fortune thing, you idiot. But coincidentally, it's all the neo-Nazis that are doing this. Always thought because, hey, this is great but to show an allegiance to a certain set of ideals, right? So, um, yeah, I yeah, so my point is like crypto fashion, like throwing up these symbols and trying to like play it off as, no, it's all, it's all a joke, it's all a goof. Um, in fact, the uh, Bolsonaro's, uh, uh, one, of his, uh, one of the people in his cabinet was recently fired because during a Senate hearing, he's sitting behind the, the, the president of the Senate and he threw up a, you know, a little, quote unquote, okay sign. But the problem is on his header on, on Twitter, the phrase don't go gentle into good, I, I'm misquoting it. Uh, it's the uh, Dylan Thomas, uh, Dylan right. Thomas, I think yes. Um, the, 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 it, it, that sentence has been co-opted by white nationalists. And in fact, uh, Brenton Terran, the guy who shot up the mosque in New Zealand, I think, uh, he opens his manifesto with that sentence. So when in when in in court he also flashed the you know the the okay slash white supremacist. So it's too many coincidences, you know. Like if you're flashing the sign of the same guy who wrote a manifesto, and then on your header on Twitter 
the the phrase you use is that same manifesto and by the way he once tweeted the motto of an european uh neo-nazi organization like an actual terrorist group right so all of these coincidences become a little hard to take like the plausible deniability there's a diminishing returns on that you know dylan thomas quote, just look it up Go i know which sign i'm not gonna use yeah right. that's right I didn't know. Do not that. go. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage, rage against the dying of the light. We must secure a future for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they have these little things, these little like secret handshakes. Really, is what it is, um, and it gives them the plausible deniability to say, "No, that's just a joke. You're being ridiculous. That's a fortune thing. That's just that's just a quote from a poet. That's just you know, that's just fourteen words. Like it, it, they do that." And it's it's not as slick as they think it is, but it works with some people, surprisingly. Like you'll tell people, you explain why this is. In fact, the moment we're done here, I have to cover this story about the, the guy in the cabinet that flashed the, the OK sign in the Senate hearing and was fired for it. And I have to explain all these things. Like everything I just said here, I'm quoting from the script that I just wrote, right? To explain like, this is why they use these tactics. Because to the untrained eye, right? To the the observer who is not in the know in these things, it's just a, it's just a poem. It's just a sign. It's just whatever. But there's a crowd that they're signaling clearly. When you see who these people interact with on social media, you when you see who responds to them, when you see the language they use, it's very clear that there's it's like a little a little corner of the internet that uh, that you don't really want to get mixed up with. And I think so. Like, go on, Tom. And the the words that find their way in some more common language, I think, are so. Like I say, like I don't want to sound like I'm like speech police, but the word "based," I think, mm -hmm. has become so. I know it's coded. It's politically coded now. So, Dr. Joe and Mark, uh, "based" is just like a one-word reply to anything. Anytime someone does something terrible. Or says something but they, but they approve of but they approve of yeah and so they'll just say base like based is like ballsy or like you're you're standing up for yourself and it used to it was pretty innocuous to start with it's this is like 15 years old the term yeah uh and now people might even say it sarcastically but then they're like wait is this cool i can't i can't I can't be an SJW, a social justice warrior, and say this is bad, or I'll be called a cuck. So, so I'm, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, so my, my anxiety just went up. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's really interesting listening to this and wondering, wow, there's this secret language out there that people are using to communicate with each other. Um, and if it's secret, there's... Secrets aren't secrets because of what we've done. Secrets are secrets because we worry, how will someone judge me if they know my secret? I mean, that's, that's why we keep secrets. We're worried that we will be judged. It's universal. And so the fact that, that we have an entire group that is secretly communicating with each other has meaning. What do you think they're afraid of? Why not just be right out open? You know what? This is my point of view. I'm prejudiced. I don't like certain things. And uh, let's talk about it. Why can't we talk about these things? 
some people do. Some people will be more blatant about this, but okay. uh, typically because that takes admitting that, like in this case with like, you know, racial prejudice and everything. If you go from like quoting like the 1530, uh, uh, 1350 statistic to fully just embracing the idea that you find yourself superior to, to, to a black person, for instance, right? Yeah. By the time you get there, you, you must realize that that's socially deplorable. Like nobody's going to accept this. Nobody in good conscience. The only company you'll keep if you're saying these things outright are Nazis, right? And even though you might be so close to them, you might not want to fully admit that you are one. And maybe that's the disconnect, that that's a, this, the, the, the cognitive dissonance, that you agree with them so much, but you know deep down that it's wrong what they're doing with the things they say, but you still agree with them, but you, you just don't want to be called that. Right, so you inch closer and closer. I, but, I'm not a racist. I'm a race realist. Yeah, like we talked, I took we. Uh, I mentioned the bell curve last night, which is like this bunk bullshit study about uh, race and IQ that everyone was so relieved to to learn about because it's like, oh, I was right all along. Right about what? Uh, yeah, that's it. Is right about what exactly? What do you mean? Yeah, that's true. That's exactly the reaction they have when they hear things like they it's always like they misinterpret a statistic or they're not looking into the sociological reasons as to why things became the way they are. And they come to the conclusion that just like, for instance, if if there's more crime in a, in a black community than a white community, that means that black people are just naturally predisposed to that, which isn't the conclusion you should be drawing from this. What you should be drawing from these from this the differences, the, 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 the difference in outcome is that something happened. A, for a, a long time ago, but not really that long ago, because it wasn't that many generations ago. It has, it wasn't, it wasn't long enough to completely erase the social um, results of these, you know, of, of slavery, of racism, the Jim Crow laws, whatever, you know, all these things. The sum of all these things. That's why these communities suffer more with the lack of access to education, and they don't make as much money. They don't have the same access to, you know, th these things, right? And you just plain so, get arrested more often. They just plain get arrested more often, right? Or the police feel. Because they, you know, they hear the statistic, they, they, they jump to the conclusion that the black community is just inherently more violent. So we have to come down on them harder, which isn't true, right? But to some people who already thought these things, they hear a whiff of like, hey, there's some scientific backing to this. That's all I need to know, it, right? You know, that's why I just take hold. Like alpha beta. But, yeah. you know, I, I, the, the association that comes to mind is, is Nazi Germany. And the insidious progression of indifference that yes. there was just a slow slow uh, sort of hypnosis if you will of an entire community to be indifferent to this particular group um but what we're really talking about here i think is the bright side i know i know this is going to sound like a real weird sort of reframe but here's the reframe. In order for us to really hurt somebody else, we have to dehumanize them. They, they have to become less than. They have to become part of an outgroup for us to then dehumanize them. What not does that outgroup I'd add? I'd say a subgroup. Like it's not so much that they're out, it's like they're explicitly below us. That's how they feel. Absolutely. But what does that really say about who we are as human beings? What it says, what do you think? What does it say that the, the only way that we can feel comfortable at all 
about doing this to somebody else is to make them less than, and then it's okay. I think what that means is that we have a capacity and a need to value each other. And the only way we can really hurt somebody else is to see them as less valuable. And then it's okay. It's, it's a reframe of who we are as human beings. Because one of the things that you know, we talk about a lot on the Dr. Joe show is that we all want the same thing. We just wanna feel valued by someone. I mean, that's what we want. Think about every person you've ever met in your life, Izzy. The common thread is they just wanna feel valued by somebody else. That's what we want. And, and we can justify doing all these horrible things to other people if we don't see them as valuable. If we see them as valuable, we can't do it. We just can't do it because that's part of who we really are as human beings. We, we, we identify with it, we resonate with it. We want the same thing. And what's cool is that every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. But we have a challenge. And the challenge is a lot of people are so angry. A lot of people are so insecure, afraid that somebody's going to take something from them that they want to do it first. I, uh, I agree with that 100%. Like going back to what Thomas said about the Dick show, right? Uh, Dick's a comedian. He's a contrarian. He's somebody who um, is usually on, especially for being a comedian, He's, he's policed, let's say, by, you know, as Thomas pointed out, the SJWs, the social justice warriors. These are people online who are, let's say, um, socially minded. And they'll say things like, you know, don't say that racist thing. You know, don't say that transphobic thing. They, they are telling people, hey, you know, don't say that. That hurts somebody's feelings and everything like that. Understandably, somebody who makes a living telling jokes is not going to look too kindly on people telling him, hey, don't joke about that. That's why the, the sentiment that we have to resist people who are telling hey let's try to respect one another like i myself i've always been pretty reverent in my sense of humor right and i had a, a phase in my life where whenever i heard somebody that was whatever they said basically boiled down to hey let's be more respectful you know you shouldn't say that thing you shouldn't act in this way you shouldn't tell that joke i reacted against that quite literally like i was a reactionary in the sense that i didn't even want to hear that like i don't want to hear it like i'm just joking i'm not hurting anybody it's just words it has no effect other than make maybe making somebody laugh you are overreacting this threat you're saying what they're going to be nazis now because i'm telling these irreverent jokes like oh you're just like you're you're an idiot and then the more i looked around like, hey that guy just flashed a fucking like what the hell is this? what's this about 14 words i'm here how come these people are all gravitating towards that same sense of humor that i was defending that like hey this nothing about the sense of humor is dangerous to society at all it's just a joke yes it's just a joke to somebody like me or thomas but some of the people on the in the in the in the, in the outskirts of, of of pleasant society let's say they mm -hmm. see that and they're like ah he's also fighting against treating people nicely He's one of my, like, he's, he's like, I, a, I, that resonates with me. That's it's a validation. Why I, 
It's a validation. It's a validation, I think. And it's a minority of people. Let's, I, I want to make this clear. It, it's not, we're not surrounded by white supremacists and neo-Nazis. It's not quite as scary, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody like Dick Metz, like he's not a neo-Nazi. I wouldn't call the guy a white supremacist. Nothing like, I met the guy personally. He's not like that. But that sense of like, I should maintain my right to offend you because it's my right to offend you. And I agree to that in, to some extent. It's going to inevitably attract a crowd that is not as well-meaning as you are perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. I noticed that with my own crowd. When I was a little, let's say, to use a cliche phrase, a little more toxic like that, I noticed that the company I was keeping, they're like, hey, you're a little too weird. Like I was just telling a joke, like you seem to like actually want to hurt people. And that's mm -hmm. the difference, right? Um, and, and that's why some like, like I can appreciate, like I, I like the, the humor that I, that I listen to the comedians, I follow the people that I appreciate my more left-leaning friends would be appalled that I mm -hmm. still patronize these comedians, that I still listen to their stuff that I, that I like who they are as, as people. And what I tell them is that, cause I can tell the difference of somebody who just wants to be able to tell their jokes and be left in peace and the actual evil people. And I, mm -hmm. one tends to like, like this crowd tends to attract the other, but I still see that them as different. And it's why I'm still able to enjoy certain types of, you know, like, like one of my favorite comedians, Anthony, Anthony Jesselman. Like, this is not a progressive guy at all. I don't think based on the jokes he tells, right? And mm -hmm. as a progressive guy, I still enjoy, like I, I put on his, his, his you know, his, his Netflix specials and I la I'm laughing my ass off and I'm thinking about like the social commentary that, you know, this joke, I wouldn't repeat this in public, but it says something about society and there's, there's, it, 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 um, it makes me think, right? But I understand why that can, like, I understand why there's some trepidation that this kind of content serves as a lightning rod to, you know, these people that, you know, are not so well-meaning, let's say. Mm. Not sure if my position is clear, but that's because that's a question I get all the time. Hey, if you're a progressive guy, why do you still, you know, enjoy this guy's content? Why do you still, why are you still friends with this guy? You know, because he said that problematic thing a while back. I'm like, yeah, because I have a certain threshold. And this guy, to me at least, hasn't crossed the, hey, this is a white nationalist threshold, if that makes any sense. Right. But if, if we keep sort of limiting our, our, friends or our things that we're listening to how are we meant to understand anything and we how can. And we can teach them either right. if you just log you know close, like there's a there's a host a tv show host in brazil widely popular guy he comes from like the stand-up crowd and then became a like the number one like late night he's like a, a, a stephen colbert in a way like he's his show is like the one late night show everybody watches he happens to enjoy my work we follow each other we talk to each other all the time i did a video covering some recent controversy that he got involved with and i explained what he did i explained why that can be seen as offensive i explained what's the the social damage if you will that that could cause i explained why he thinks that it's not that that you know that's serious and i passed the question in the end to the viewer right and then i had a lot of people saying you follow him i'm so disappointed in you like i can't believe like i thought you're a progressive guy you talked to this guy like that's so disappointing i saw you follow him and i said I've talked to this guy, you know, I've, I've met him in a way that maybe you didn't. And he doesn't seem like a bad guy to me. Like he might tell the, you know, bad joke, the problematic joke, if you want to use that word. But I feel like if I were to tell him, hey, you know, I think that people are offended because of this and this. Maybe you didn't realize about this. What do you think about this? Maybe he might come to a different understanding about this. In fact, I, for a, I know for a fact, because, you know, I, I can say this. He has shared certain things that I know were more leaning to his side politically. And he was being called all these names for spreading all these fake news. I hit him up on the DMs and say, hey, man, 
here's the reason why that's wrong. This is why this might offend people. I give him the source, the information, and he's like, oh, shit, you're right. I'm going to delete that. You're right. I shouldn't have mentioned that. And there you go. You have a thousand SJWs yelling, like j- jumping down the guy's fucking throat. That's, that's right. not right. People just become more entrenched in their beliefs. They go into the defensive, right? If I can reach out to him and say, hey, man, this is why. This is why people are offended. This is why this is not true. You're, it, like, really, I think I'm appealing to people's innate sense of I don't want to be made – like, I don't want to look like an idiot. So if you can explain to me that what I said is, is wrong, I shouldn't say that, is factually incorrect, most people, if you explain to them you know, accurately and in a way that really reaches to them, they won't want to perpetuate bullshit because they don't want to be seen as a bullshit peddler, I think. Right. But the, but the approach that you use is based on respect. Yes, right? absolutely. That's what it is. And that's the key to this. Once, once you use respect, it's very difficult for a brain to get angry with you. When's the last time absolutely. you got angry at someone treating you with respect? It can't right? happen, even if they exactly right. They that's exactly right. And that is the way that we can help each other. Respect leads to value. Value leads to trust. With trust, you can share those secrets because you're not afraid you're going to be judged. That's that's part of what we need to do. So how how do we address these these enormous global issues one person at a time, just like that, by communicating with someone? And and that's why you know it's it's so wonderful to hear what you're doing, Izzy, because you're reaching a lot of people, but every now and then you get to reach one person individually with respect and hopefully help reframe for them what they just did. And they may not have meant to, they may not have meant to. So back a little bit to to Brazil and COVID because there's a lot of people who don't, who first of all, didn't believe it was happening and now there's this new strain, and now Brazil is right in the heart of all of this. What's going on with that? And, and, and how, how's the government gonna manage that, or are they just turning their back on that again? How are you being it treated because of it? What's that? What was that, Tom? And how are you being treated because of it? Like, Oh, yes, that's a big thing. Uh, as, a, as a, just jump in on, on that part, because I know I'll forget, as a Brazilian, we don't get a lot of like racial stereotypes, right? Like we don't get hit by a lot of xenophobia. That happens, of course. I've been called like a, an effing foreigner once or twice, but there's nothing specific to Brazilians. You know, like if you want to be racially prejudiced against like the Chinese, there's a lot of slurs specific to them and a lot of specific cultural things that you would say to offend them, right? Same with Mexicans, same with most everyone. But Brazilians, we don't really have something. And apparently we do now. Because the COVID variants like P1 and P2, which are the most dangerous, like it started in Brazil. It's been called the Brazilian variant. And if you track social media and you type something like Brazilian fault or like, you know, Bolsonaro fault or something along the like using those words, you will find a lot of people who are saying, who are saying quite literally that it's the Brazilian's fault. So as a Brazilian who lives outside of Brazil, Obviously, that uh, that affects me, right? Like I, I overheard in like at the grocery. Store, that's not some. I've lived here for seventeen years. Hearing people in the street talking about Brazil, talking about the Brazilian president, was not something that has ever happened. People would mm-hmm. mention Brazil if they're talking about uh, a trip they want to take to Rio to go to the beach, or if they're a soccer fan, they're talking about the game last night. That's it. So to hear at the grocery store. 
they're like, oh, the Brazilian COVID is coming. Like it's happening in BC, like the neighboring province, right? Like there's a bunch of cases there. Uh, the entire hockey team, like in 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 Vancouver, is came down with with COVID, right? So that's something. Yeah. So that's something I have never experienced before as a Brazilian living abroad. So obviously, as a foreigner, and in these these tumultuous times we're living in, it's it's a little bit scary. In fact, some people have thought that the reason why I want to live uh, uh leave Canada might be because that it's not it's, it hasn't gotten to that point, but it is an added benefit that I don't have to worry about that. I guess. Wow. I'm sorry, to the beginning of your question, right? Like what, what caused this, right? The president is a denialist. Uh, every single one of his ministers, which is the equivalent to um, uh, like secretary in, in American uh, politics, right? Uh, the ministry of like health and like all these things, they would, he would bring in somebody who was like a doctor or something like that, something with some experience in, in the field. And they would say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. And then he'd get rid of them and get somebody else who would, you know, hopefully be a yes man. If it wasn't, you know, rinse, uh, repeat until you get to like, you eventually filter out and whoever you get like next is going to be like even worse than the one before, because what got the one before fired was some semblance of, 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 of common sense. Right. So it, it's a, it's a situation that by design has to get worse before it gets better. It has to get so bad that eventually they're going to impeach him or something like that. In fact, there is talk of, of articles of impeachment right now. Uh, and impeachment in Brazil is like a common thing. Like many Brazilian presidents have, have been, uh, well, maybe not that many, but it's, it seems like it's a more common thing than it is in the States for a president to be impeached, right? So um, yeah, like we, like in, in recent memory, like I'm 36, I don't remember an American president who didn't finish his term because he was impeached, right? That has happened in Brazil twice. It's wow. just, just in my, in my lifetime, twice in no. my lifetime. And now it's seriously being decided for that to happen a third time, right? It's, it's, it's so, actually never, it's never happened in yeah in the United States. The, the, only, there you go. the only president who was threatened to be impeached resigned uh, before, and that was Nixon. But, but right, the other, Nixon. you know, Clinton was impeached and, and Trump impeached a couple of times, but they finished their terms. So that's never happened. Brazil is wild. We've had a president who committed suicide. Uh, we've had Getulio uh, Vargas. We had a president who was ousted by a military junta, right? Like that's João Goulart uh, in 64. So we had a president who was wildly believed to conduct witchcraft to get rid of political rivals. And mysteriously, a lot of them did die under some circumstances that weren't quite, you know, uh, typical. So that field, the, the, so we, we the, by the way, that the, the warlock president that I just talked about, his father, when he was a senator, killed a guy in the Senate with a gun. And there's, a, like, there's, there's an audio recording of the thing happening and he wasn't even arrested. In fact, the Senate like went back to work like the following day. So Brazil is like, I tell these stories to my, my Canadian friends and they're like, you're exaggerating a little bit, right? Like for comedic effect. I'm like, no, all of these happen. So Brazil is like, it was already a difficult place to understand and more so now. You know, Izzy, there's, there's so much to talk about. Um, and and what's, what's great is we have an audience that I think is is receptive and listening to this, but I'm just wondering, as as we sort of approach this entire event that we've been talking about, as we as we sort of wrap up what we've been talking about, um, we started off by talking about a small change. We started off by talking about the small change with a big effect. That that there you were just 
in Brazil, started blogging. And the next thing that happens over time is you're now, you know, have this, this huge platform. So given what we've been speaking about with the, the racism, the white supremacists, the, the corrupt politicians, COVID, people starting to blame each other, small changes can have big effects. What small change can you recommend to our listeners so that they can manage some of this? Other than listening to your incredible blog, which we have to get to and, and make sure people know how to how to get to your YouTube Samson. But oh yeah, thank you for change? that for sure. Uh, one thing that uh, has I noticed that improved my my relationships in general, both like in real life and on the internet as a content creator, is that I always like my first instinct, I try to ignore that. And I, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Whenever I hear some news, my first instinct is to be like, oh, they did it again. Or like, oh, they're attacking the guy. Like, like my first instinct is to get really defensive and angry and look for somebody to refute. I want to argue. I want to say like, no, you're wrong and you're stupid. And now I try like, okay, let's, first of all, don't react right away. Let's actually read the news. Let's try to process. What are they actually saying? Like, let's actually, doesn't mean you're like buying your, what, they're, what they're selling. Just like, are you sure that what you're hearing from that side is accurate? Let's like actually look at that, talk to somebody, ask what they actually think. And whether we're talking about like social issues or economics or politics or COVID or whatever, right now it's, everything is so like the term, like we live in the age of fake news, right? And it's not so much that the news are fake. What that means is that people interpret things that could be completely different from reality, yeah. right? But they truly believe that that's what it is. Yes. And so it becomes really hard to separate like what's true, what's a good take on what's going on and what's propaganda, right? What's fake news. And I find that the best way to, to cut through that is like, okay, let, first of all, don't react. Don't immediately share. Don't go like, they did it again. Or like, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't get mad at somebody because they used the, the wrong word. They said it's something, oh, that could perhaps be misconstrued as racist or that, because I get it both, I get it from both sides, right? I've been accused of like that thing you said that can be seen as racist or, or sometimes, hey, how come you said it in that sense? Why did you censor yourself? Are you afraid of the SJWs? Are you turning into one of them? I fucking knew it. I could tell, like he's getting, it's like a, a, an anti SJW, like an inverted SJW. He's offended because I wasn't, offended enough you know i wasn't offended enough at something right like so what i say is don't react right away like whatever your first instinct it's probably not right that's that's it's it's coming from that primal part of your brain that wants to yes. fight that thinks that like your survival is at stake here and that's yes. the other that's the tribalism that helped us so much when we're primarily you know i mean we're still primates but we're no, no, you know early right. hominids right like yeah. that that rejecting what's strange and what's different and what's yep. wrong was very important it helped it helped us get here but right now it's going to destroy us right yeah. it's like like fossil fuel it's like fossil fuels right like it helped us get here but now we don't really need that anymore like we can stop doing like let's let's think of a different way to solve that problem so that's the small change whatever that's you great hear, don't react right away like hey what did you actually mean like perhaps he's just mistaken he hasn't had the access to the information you had to understand why maybe he shouldn't say that like yeah. that's one thing and the problem is that even in the process of trying to do that because like when i do that i'm leading by example and because i make videos arguing in that way people who follow me they're gonna think you know that's a good way to interpret the world right but i get pushed back too like oh you're you're doing the two side two sides thing too much like you're not like no man but you gotta you gotta at least listen like you can reject it 
after you listen, like try to see, like don't just read the 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 um, the headline. Don't just like read the screenshot and like immediately jump to a conclusion. Don't just read that isolated tweet from the person that everybody's trying to cancel. Let's let's try to understand it first. And try to find the full cut of the video. So, yeah. So the and way you know, we're we're looking the, at you. So Izzy, I could not agree more. The way I say it is, it is much more important to be reflective than reflexive. Oh, absolutely. That's it. Be reflective instead of reflexive. And it is much more rewarding to wonder than to worry. And, and what you're talking about, that primal part of the brain, it's we, uh, people who tune in the Dr. Joe show know it. It's called the limbic system. It's this yes. primitive, ancient part of our brain responsible for irrational thought, impulsivity, fight memory, pleasure. It is the fight, flight place. That's right. But we have another part of our brain, the modern part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for thinking, for rational thought, for solving problems, executing a plan, anticipating what will happen next. If you wouldn't mind, just put your hand on your forehead for a moment mm -hmm. right now. Right behind there is your prefrontal cortex. How many times have you done something impulsively, limbically, and slapped your forehead as if trying to jumpstart your prefrontal cortex? Like, what was I thinking? So, <laughs> that's interesting. That's so, how it works. So that's right. So absolutely, couldn't agree more. Folks, if you're listening, the small change, just, you're going to feel that anger, but keep it frontal. Don't go limbic. Think it through. The other part about the I am. Like that. Everybody's got an I am. Remember, the I am is the idea that we're all doing the best we can. We have the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can. This is who I am, my current maximal potential. This is who I am. I matter. This is me, my I am. This is me. Influenced by four domains, your home, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Everyone's got it. Everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them, which means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. You control no one, you influence everyone. Izzy, what kind of influence do you want to be? That's it, I think. Uh, I want to make sure that if somebody listens to what I, that I say and somebody follows my work and see how I break down situations and my lens through which I view the world, I want them to go, yeah, I shouldn't be so angry. You know, I should like, yeah. let's, let's try to see the, the full picture before. We, if I heard this person did something bad, let's try to look into it before we immediately brand them as this or that, right? Because that just separates us, right? That, that, that leads to like, you know, canceling like you know the job lynch mob a term that i'm sure thomas is familiar with right like that leads to to barbaric uh, uh behavior like like we need to ruin this person right now they said the wrong thing i want their livelihood to be taken away like that's that's absurd yeah 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 i think that's it's so powerful how how do people find you uh how do they listen to you tell me where where, where do we go Okay, so if you just look up my name, Izzy Novri, I Z Z 
I-Z-Z-Y-N-O-B-R-E. Yeah, Z-Z, uh, that's the British. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I got that. Yeah. Exactly. I-Z-Z-Y. Yeah. yeah, up here we, we say Z. Yeah. So I-Z-Z-Y-Z-Y-N-O-B-R-E. N-O-B-R-E. You'll find me. My, my profiles are the verified ones. So I know there's a bunch of copycats, but if you see the verified check mark on either Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, you'll find my stuff there. Uh, I'm all over the place. You know, I'm sharing, you know, my my day-to-day -day living, my behind the scenes. I do a lot of that on my social media. I talk a lot about, for the English side of things, I talk a lot about video games, portability, cell phones, uh, video game consoles, and tech news. Mm. That's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm so honored that you've come with us today on this journey and, uh, and brought us along and, and just shared this wonderful, wonderful experience. I mean- I have one question. Yes, please. Thomas, what made you want to reach out to me to, 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 to be on the, on the show? I think, uh, to use another phrase that we're both familiar with, I want to make people a calm. I, Sorry, that one I'm not familiar with. What did you say? It's like when you're a rage. You're, but the, you're a calm. Oh, oh, a calm. Oh, okay, I got it now. I got it now. A calm. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Because okay. I've been going down the rabbit hole of... Like, uh, I don't know if you listen to The Dollop or... Uh, Not recently, but I, I'm, I subscribe to the, to the podcast, yes. Yeah, so that's been my new dick show, just binging it and learning about world history and basically why people are as pissed off as they are today. That's uh, bizarre, is eye-opening. Yeah, uh, and I also read The Jakarta Method. I don't know if you've that read That one I haven't read. No, I haven't. Yeah, and it talks about Brazil and how uh, really? that 64 coup was kind of really? our bad. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I'm guessing from my tweets, you got that impression that. Uh, yeah, and I knew right that on. this was important to you, and we've been taught, we, you know, Dr. Joe's, uh, he's a medicine man of sorts. So COVID is always important yeah. to update people right on. on. So many, many, many dynamic factors. That's my, cool. I was curious about that. You are, you are by far one of the best guests, if not the best guests we've had. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're very flattering. Absolutely. That's very flattering. <laughs> and, and it is about anger. This, this is one of my latest books, Outsmarting Anger. If you send Ooh. me your address, uh, I'd be delighted to, uh, to send you a copy. Absolutely. Amazon. I'm all about that. Okay, yeah. This, this, uh, this is based on that idea. When is the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? This one, we, this actually is the second printing of it because the first printing got sold out. It's an award-winning book, nice. but I, I would love to send it to you. See what yes, you think. I, I, absolutely. Great. All right. Izzy, thanks so much. Tom, Mark, it's been so much fun. Thank All right. you, Izzy. We'll Thank see you so guys. much for having me, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Go, 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 go.